This is the Christian Circle Podcast and you're listening to Pamela Fernandez where we have conversations about Christian living. Here's the show. Yeah, St. Faustina, uh, a couple of our previous you know, subjects mm-hmm. that we've looked at, Catherine of Siena, conversations with Jesus, you know, and St. Catherine of Siena wrote a book called The Dialogues mm-hmm. with these conversations back and forth with Jesus. And St. Faustina also wrote a book that was her diary that was her conversations with Jesus, kind of more messages Jesus gave her. Catherine of Siena had more conversations. St. Faustina would kind of get messages given to her by Jesus. And also, she reminds me a lot of uh, St. Uh, Therese of Lisieux. And all three of them died at a young age. All three of them were nuns. Well, St. Catherine of Siena was a third order, but they were all dedicated to religious life. And they all became very prominent saints in the church. I believe she was 30... Was she 33? Okay. I think she was, or 30, she was 33 years old. So at the same age as Christ. And I believe Catherine Siena was 30, yeah. like 35, right? Yeah, I think 32. Right around there. Yeah, and then uh, Teresa Blasseau, I think she was only 29 mm-hmm. maybe, or 28. But still, you know, very accomplished women for being so young when they died. I think when St. Faustina entered the convent, there was a lot of struggle for her to enter. Like she had to go through mm-hmm. a period where she had to pay her way to get through the convent. So Yeah, when she originally got out of school when she was like 16 years old, she told her. And then she had a vision of Jesus uh, not long after that. And Jesus told her to go to Krakow. And uh, she lived good, good enough distance away, not, not terribly far. But she got on a train and immediately went to the convent in Krakow and told them she wanted to join. And they told her she could join if she paid for her own habit. I guess it took her a while to make the money to pay for the habit. I don't know how expensive the habit is. <laughs> But it took her a little while to make the money, and uh, she had to pay her own way, basically, to get into the convent. So, in in a way, she did have this struggle to become uh, a nun, uh, because I believe it took her three years to to get her habit made, and and she had to work as a cook, and she had to work as a... Um, so, not really a, a bed of roses kind of life, being no. on the journey to be a, a religious person. Yeah, and that's, that's another thing that reminded me of Teresa Lassou with her... Mm how she wanted to join the convent when she was young and she went, she went to the Pope and everything. She went over everyone's head and tried to go straight to the Bishop of Rome to get permission to join. Mm-hmm. And but still was saying that same kind of struggle. And she knew mm-hmm. this is what she was called to do. Mm-hmm. And she set her mind to it. And she, she kept after the task very, I wouldn't say stubbornly, but very dedicated. When did she start having these, uh, these conversations about the Divine Mercy? Because I believe... Uh, she was even recommended to a psychiatrist for 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 making it known that she wants to paint a picture of Jesus and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she had the uh, first vision of Jesus that you know the image of the reason that we know that's so familiar to us. And mm-hmm. I think she'd been in the convent for a few years at that point, and she had this first of Jesus because Jesus appeared to her, like I said before, she was even a nun, mm-hmm. told her to go become a nun. Yeah, but. Jesus appears to her in that familiar, you know, the white robe with the uh, the red and white kind of beams of light, it looks like, coming out of his chest. Yeah. You know, like the blood and water that flowed from Christ's side when he was uh, hit with the spear on the yeah. cross. Uh, I think she had been in the convent only a few years at that point. And yeah, they, because now we're in the modern age, you know, this isn't like Joan of Arc back in the, mm. in the 16th century or whatever it was. Now we're in the modern age. So obviously, someone sees an image of Jesus, they must have psychiatric problems, mm. you know. Yeah. That was the first go, and it was her confessor, actually, her priest confessor, that made her go see a psychologist or a psychiatrist. She's perfectly fine, there's nothing wrong with her. So then, that point forward, he started believing her. 
and he encouraged her to write down to write down what she was hearing from Jesus and kind of keep a diary. Her famous, you know, Saint Faustina's diary. What is this divine mercy all about, basically? What what she instituted and has become now famous all over the world? Yeah, well, it was an image, and Jesus told her. You know, Jesus had these conversations with her, and it was this image that he wanted us uh, painted, but she was unable to to paint it herself. So she ended up. A couple of years later, she ended up getting together with an artist and kind of dictated to him what it looked like. And the funny thing is, too, I read a while ago, I don't remember where I read this, that the original image of Divine Mercy that this artist painted from her like notes and what she was telling him how to paint it, I guess like a police sketch artist, and they took that and done like a computer analysis of it with the Shroud of Turin, okay. and they almost completely matched. Yeah, so I thought that was pretty interesting. I can't remember where I seen that a while ago, okay. but yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. And Jesus gave her, you know, gave her these conversations he had with her, and he told her these different things. He told her to have people pray devotion to Divine Mercy, mm-hmm. and uh, that's the chapel of Divine Mercy that we have today. Yeah. And Saint, a big proponent of Divine Mercy, he actually instituted the Sunday after Easter mm-hmm. as Divine Mercy Sunday, and it's mm-hmm. dedicated to the Divine Mercy of God. So uh, it starts on Good Friday, is, uh, isn't that the thing that you start the Novena on uh, yeah. Good Friday at 3 o'clock every day until the Sunday after until Easter? Sunday after, yeah, the first Sunday of Easter is Divine Mercy Sunday. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you were to do the Divine Mercy, that's from Friday, Friday till the next Sunday, that's nine days. Mm-hmm. And that's, it was dedicated to the 3 o'clock on Fridays is the Hour of Mercy. Mm-hmm. So I mean, people pray the Chapel of yeah, Mercy, the yeah. Chapel of Divine Mercy at all times and all places, yeah. but the 3 p.m. hour was specifically dedicated to it because that is the hour, you know, it's the ninth hour of the day, mm-hmm. that's the hour when Jesus mm-hmm. cross. Yeah. Yeah. The prayer focuses on the water that flowed forth from Jesus' side mm-hmm. while he was on the cross. And and just for the people who want to do this this prayer, even if you can't make it at 3 o'clock, just remember that anytime it's 3 o'clock somewhere in the world and you can just do <laughs> the Navina. Yeah. 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 It's three o'clock somewhere, yeah. Yeah, yeah but I mean, it, you can do it at any time, but that's yeah. just like, that's a specific but hour. That's the hour. You don't yeah. Even, yeah, you don't have to do it on Fridays either. Yeah. I actually, I uh, I was very drawn to the, the Chapel of Divine Mercy mm-hmm. years ago before I even considered becoming Catholic. Mm-hmm. And because it's very, I mean, it's a very ecumenical prayer. Yeah. The rosary is hard for yes, non Catholics to get yeah. into. You know, it's very Marian. And yeah. if, you don't, if you don't believe in uh, the communion of saints, yeah. Then praying the rosary makes absolutely no sense. The mother of God, the saint in heaven, to mm-hmm. intercede on your behalf. So I mean, it all it kind of flows one from the other. Yeah. So if you don't have that Catholic belief of intercession of the saints, the communion of saints, then the rosary makes no sense. Correct. Yeah. But the chapel of divine mercy, it's you know cross ecumenical. Yeah. I I used to pray it when I was a very devout Protestant. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I didn't know how to do it exactly right and yeah. how to do it you know with the specific. But I knew that for the sake of a sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. Yeah. You know, I, got, I kind of had the general outline of it, and yeah. I loved it. I thought it was a great devotion. Yeah. And then when I learned more about mm-hmm. it, and kind of, <laughs> especially after I became Catholic, and then I found out, because I was a big admirer of John Paul II, mm. when I found out how big of a devotee he was mm. to Divine Mercy Sunday, mm-hmm. and not just Divine Mercy Sunday, but just the, the devotion to Divine Mercy, mm-hmm. it really it made me want to go to it more, you know? Yeah. And it's kind of my go-to, like if I've got... I got a little bit of time on my hands. It's my like some people like to pray the rosary, or some people yeah. like the my my two favorite devotions is scripture study and the chapel. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very simple, right? I mean, can you just um, 
tell people how how to say it i mean it's it's fairly simple and it's it's just counting 10 10 10 10 so if you could explain i know that's not part of the um part of saint faustina's life yeah it's her life was very short but her life was all about divine mercy so really it is mm-hmm. but uh yeah the it's it's kind of based on rosary beads so you've got the the five decades of 10 beads each with a one large bead mm-hmm. uh that's usually like the our father bead mm-hmm. and then you have on the on the Hail Mary, what will be the Hail Mary beads, or the ten beads, you pray for the sake of his sorrowful passion, mm-hmm. have mercy on us and on the whole world. And then the opening prayer is, uh, hold it right here, Eternal Father, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, atonement for our sins, and those of the whole world. That's the opening for each decade. Then you pray the, the ten prayers for the sake of sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. And then the thing that I, I kind of found this interesting, I had a, a friend who was a, uh, he's a priest, he was a Roman rite priest, and he <laughs> changed to be a, a Byzantine rite priest. He's still a Catholic, but he just changed rites, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and because he was always drawn to kind of Eastern liturgy and mm-hmm. icons and stuff like that. And he explained to me one time how the prayer that you conclude the, the chapel of divine mercy with, holy God, holy mighty one, holy immortal one, have mercy on us and on the whole world, that was new to Western Catholicism, the Chapel of Divine Mercy. But in Eastern, like the Eastern Rite Catholic churches and the Eastern Orthodox churches, that's a very standard part of their liturgy. Okay. They call it the, the Thrice Holy Prayer. And Poland kind of straddles the line between Eastern and Western Europe, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of, because John Paul II said that the Eastern and Western churches are two lungs of the church, mm-hmm. you know? And so it was kind of uniting, bringing them back together, kind of bringing us closer together. The... Divine Mercy also prays for, especially the Navina prays also for, uh, is very inclusive of everyone. Like it prays for lukewarm souls, it prays for priests, it prays for people who are in need of prayers. So uh, could you just explain uh, how that covers everybody? I mean, it's the Lord thinking of every single person at the hour of his death. Yeah, because I mean, it's for the, for the sake of his sorrowful passion, yeah. have mercy on us and on the whole world. Yeah. You know, it yeah. is praying for, because Jesus died for mm-hmm. all mankind but all mankind isn't gonna i mean we pray for it that all mankind will come to accept but there's going to be some that aren't going to accept he even said that himself jesus mm-hmm. so that's why in in the eucharistic prayer in english now since the 2011 translation when it says this is a cup of my blood that's poured out for you and for many it used to say you and for all mm-hmm. but now it says you and for many because it's a better translation of the original missile the latin mm-hmm. but some people aren't going to accept the graces that god offers them because we have free will, you know, but we still have to pray for the whole world, you know, because we want everyone to come to repentance. God said he did in first Peter, he says, he's not willing that anyone should perish, but all should come to repentance. So that's God's will is for everyone to come back to him and to accept him. But unfortunately, the people, not everyone's done. But yeah, the, the novena, so it's nine days. Day one is for all mankind particular sinners that's that's everyone that's <laughs> even devout catholics i would know you know yeah. day two is the souls of priests and the religious and then three is the souls of the devout and faithful people and then four is for non-believers and those who do not yet know jesus and then five is the soul of heretics and schismatics and six is the soul of the meek and humble and for little children and seven is the souls of people who especially glorify christ's mercy and then the souls in purgatory and then the last day is souls of those who have become lukewarm and indifferent. And, you know, that's, Jesus said that he'd rather have you hot or cold. Lukewarm, he'll spit you out of his mouth. He said that in Revelation. 
Mm. I think that's because lukewarm people, like it says here, lukewarm, indifferent, they're some of the hardest people to reach because they think they're doing fine. You know, they think they're doing all right. And you try to have a conversation because I was a lukewarm Christian for most of my life. And so I know because you know, I know because I was on the inside. Mm. And you think you're doing fine. So if someone tries to talk to you about, you know, conversion and setting yourself more towards Christ and, and seeking after God. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I've got it. I'm doing all right. But you're not, you know, and that's why being lukewarm is the most dangerous position because you're just kind of straddling the fence yeah. and you think you're all right. You're, you're really, it's a hard person to reach. I was hard to reach. And still you've been reached. God reached right. you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, God reached out his hand to everyone. That's, uh, if you ever look at the, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, you know, that famous part where God's reaching out to touch mm. Adam's hand. Mm. If you look, God's reaching with a fully outstretched arm and Adam's just kind of like barely got his arm bent. Like he's just... You know, like, if you can reach down to me, I'll touch your hand, but mm -hmm. you're going to have to do all the work, yeah. and that's mankind. So you mentioned um, Pope John Paul a number of times. What was his role in bringing this devotion to the millions of people out there? I believe he was Archbishop when Faustina had started this devotion. He was, uh, well, actually, he there was a time when the devotion itself was uh, embargoed in the church. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. I, I believe it was all kinds of different things going on, but there was a poor translation. They didn't have the original, her diary. And so they had like a French translation or Italian translation. And for whatever reason, it wasn't, I think it was in the 50s and it was embargoed. And then when John Paul II became, uh, Carol Vitea was the uh, Bishop of Krakow. Mm -hmm. He worked with the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith in the Vatican to get it took off the embargoed list, like the, to allow the faithful to, to be dedicated to it. Mm -hmm. And the way he done that was they found the original Polish and they showed that there wasn't any theological errors with it. There was no problems with it. And once the Vatican seen that, they were like, okay, it's fine. So he was a big promoter of it. And he actually, uh, on Divine Mercy, he dedicated Divine Mercy Sunday. And then he beatified St. Faustina, mm. I think it was in 2000, mm. on Divine Mercy Sunday. Mm. And then he canonized her on Divine Mercy Sunday mm. a few years later. And then he died, St. John Paul II died the day before, it was either Saturday or Friday before Divine Mercy Sunday. Mm. It was right before Divine Mercy Sunday. And then he was beatified and canonized on Divine Mercy Sunday. Okay. So really Divine Mercy yeah. kind of guided his whole life. And what lessons do we learn from St. Faustina and the Divine Mercy in general? I mean, what are the general things that we can take away and how can we encourage this devotion among people? Well, I, I'd encourage everyone to pray the chapel of Divine Mercy. I mean, it, it takes about half the time as a uh, Yeah, as a rosary. Correct. You know? <laughs> so it's kind of the speed rosary. Uh, you know, if you're going to say a prayer like that, if you've got a devotional prayer like that, it's, it's half time for rosary, so anyone's got time for like 10 or 15 minutes, it doesn't take long. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and also, you know, it's it's all through the Psalms, you know, it says, thank the Lord for he is good, his mercy endures forever. Mm. You know, God's mercy, people focus a lot, especially in today's day and age, on, on the justice of God, like there's this wrathful kind of side of God. Mm. But God's justice is tempered by his mercy. Right, you know, yeah. that's why Jesus became man. He, he emptied himself and took on the form of a slave and was obedient to the death on a cross. He done that for mercy. And that's why Jesus came down and died for us. And, and I think we talked about before how there was this, it was kind of really popularized by John Calvin, this view of the atonement, called penal substitution. Jesus died as a substitute for us when God poured out his wrath upon him. It was the wrath of God. Since Jesus took this wrathful punishment for us, we're no longer liable. Like he paid our debt in that way. And it's really kind of a skewed way of looking at it, where God's just this wrathful judge and not loving at all. Mm. But 
But really, Jesus, because of love, because of mercy, came down from heaven, became man, so he bridged the gap between man and God, and he offered himself as you know the priest, the, the priest, the sacrifice, and the temple, because he was the temple. Mm-hmm. He offered himself on the cross as a loving sacrifice, so that we could have a symbol to look to, to know this is the mercy of God. This is the love of God. This is how much God loves us, is to die the most painful, humiliating way possible, to show us how much he loves us. And he became an offering on our behalf to God, not because God's some wrathful, vengeful person that wants to just punish, but because justice demanded a sacrifice. And since we had offended an all-holy God, there was nothing we could do to bridge that gap. But Jesus could because he was the Son of God. So that's really, that's the mercy of God in a nutshell, is the cross. And that's why the image of divine mercy is that white and red beam kind of coming out of Jesus' chest is the blood and water that flowed forth from the side. And says something too in the open prayer, I can't remember exactly the words of it, of the chapel, that the, the blood and water that gushed forth from his side, all blood and water which gush, gushed forth from the heart of Jesus, a fountain of mercy for us, I trust in you. And that was another thing too on the bottom of that picture, it says, Jesus, I trust in you. And that's what we just have to trust in Jesus. You know, he has all things work towards the good for those who love him. And things might not be going the exact way you think they should be going, but God's ordering everything. And if you remain in his will and you trust him, everything will work out. You know, St. Peter got crucified upside down, so he might not have thought it would work out at that moment, but he ended up in heaven. So, I mean, that's the, that's the final goal. It isn't this wealth and health prosperity gospel that they preach mm-hmm. on TV. It's the, the destination of your soul is really the most important thing. And the same is for St. Faustina, right? I believe she was very sick for... She was sick, yeah. Yeah, for most of her life. For most of her life, yeah. She died at 33 years old. So, I mean, on a human level, she died a nun. She didn't have any money. She didn't have any power. She didn't have any material possessions. And she died at 33 years old, right before World War II completely destroyed her home country. Mm -hmm. You know? So, like, what what did she accomplish in life? She accomplished a lot. Yeah, she she gave us this message of divine mercy from Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know that's that's quite an accomplishment. But yeah. from an earthly, worldly standard, she died a failure, thirty-three years yeah, old. Yeah. You know, yeah. but she didn't. Yeah. And that's the thing is we have to see things through God's perspective. And yeah. from our perspective, even Jesus died on a cross with just his mother and his best friend at his side. Yeah. All his other, you know, the other eleven apostles, one betrayed him. First off, he sold them off for 30 pieces of silver, mm-hmm. and then the other 10 left him, and only John and Mary was left at the foot of the cross from an earthly perspective, but then he rose from the grave three days later, and we know the rest of the story. In fact, I think um, one of the statements that Jesus made to her was that if she made this devotion popular, he would make it up to her, and I was just reading that yesterday, and I thought, oh my goodness, she died at 33, I mean, how did he ever make it up to her? But then you look at her life now, and then you see right. the Divine Mercy, on the other hand, it's just become such a popular prayer that you see yeah, the success at, of it. She's at the wedding banquet with the Lamb, yeah, right now, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> as yeah. it's described in uh, Revelation, so yeah. she's doing fine. <laughs> she might have died on earth at 33, but she's living forever in heaven, so I mean, yeah. that's the goal. Yeah. And that's what we got to, you got to keep that in mind, too, because, yeah. I mean, we, I, myself, everyone, you know, we all, we get distracted sometimes yeah. by things going on here, temporal things. Yeah. We have to remember the eternal things because that's, the temporal things aren't real. Like, they're yeah. real. But they're passing. We're not in the matrix. Yeah. But they're passing away. You know, they're not here forever. How what do you keep reminding yourself is, of the eternal? I mean, 
Yeah. We just keep forgetting. I, I myself keep forgetting. I mean, I keep thinking, oh my goodness, I need that promotion. I need that job. I need, you know, but how do you keep reminding yourself of the eternal? I mean, it's, it's, you can go too far. I, I mean, me, I have a family and everything, so you can go too far and just walk away into the desert and live like a punk. <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta live out your station in life. That's what I wanna, uh, it was St. Don Bosco said, you gotta grow where yeah. you're planted. Yeah. You know, so you have to live out your station in life and, your husband, if you're a wife, if you're whatever, a doctor, a lawyer, you gotta do the best you can. But you have to keep your eye on the, the eternal prize. That is the most important. You can't sacrifice the eternal from the temporal. That's you know, Jesus said, What would a prophet man if he gave up the whole world? If you gained the whole world and gave up his soul. There's people out there that was wicked, evil people. I always think of uh, uh, Antioch Epiphanes in uh, I think it was second Maccabees or first Maccabees mm. when he was dying. This was a horrible, horrible man. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. he was a, like the preceding chapter before his death tells about how like he killed women and children and all kinds of things. Mm. And he had a mother and her seven sons saw him yeah. have to worship the gods, and he sacrificed a pig on an altar to Zeus in the temple in Jerusalem. So like this guy was the epitome of evil. He's actually kind of the the uh, the foreshadowing of the Antichrist. Mm. You know, oh, okay. and he said something along the lines. I'm not quoting him here, but paraphrasing. I was a good guy and. I done a lot of good in my life, and now I'm dying, but I'm leaving a good legacy. Mm. Yeah, and I always read that like you're leaving a good legacy, now you're leaving a terrible <laughs> legacy. What kind of rose-colored glasses he look at the world? Yeah. And he gave up the world basically because he had all this power and everything, and he died alone in his bed, and that's that's the end for him. So he had all this power here on earth, but I don't even think about where he is now. What else? Anything else you have to add about the Divine Mercy or Saint Faustina? Yeah, she. Uh, she was one of the, the great saints of Poland. You know, we got, uh, I've always wanted to visit Poland just because of, uh, just in the 20th century alone, mm, the great mm, saints that yeah, have come out of there. You know, yeah. St. Faustina and uh, Edith Stein. Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, you got uh, Maximilian Kolbe mm. and St. John Paul the Great, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so she's just one of the uh, one of the great saints that have really come out of Poland. Those mm. are the, the ones I can think off the top of my head, but and they're all from the 20th century. And the interesting thing about Poland is, too, that the people of Poland have suffered so much, yes. you know, over the last, I don't know, not even over, even over 100 years. Yeah. They were, you know, subjugated by the Russian Empire, mm. and then they were, you know, kind of in between the tug of war between Russia and Germany for hundreds of years. <laughs> and then the Nazis came, and after the Nazis left, and the communists came. And the whole time, the people never lost their faith. Like right now, church attendance in the world is highest in Poland. Mm. You know, after all this and all this suffering they went through, for a hundred years of suffering mm. and they come out of it and their faith is stronger than ever. You know, it's really yeah. a testament to the people's faith that they, they kept the faith and even like John Paul II had to study in seminary underground because he wasn't allowed, he weren't allowed to be. And when he went, I heard a story about when he went back, when he became Pope in uh, 70, I think it was 78, 79, and he wanted to go back to Poland and the communist government didn't want to let him back to Poland because they seen him as like this beacon of hope, which is exactly what he was. And they didn't want to let him come, so they ended up relenting. And we went to Warsaw, and I think it was two million people came to the airport to greet him. One of the KGB agents that was there cabled back to Moscow and said, we've lost. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just that was it. You can't, you know, because Stalin one time said, how many divisions does a pope have? But it was the pope who ended up bringing freedom to Eastern Europe. Yes, correct. You know, the Iron Curtain fell because of the witness of hope mm -hmm. in John Paul II. And St. Faustina had that same hope in the divine mercy of God that even though things look dark and things look dire, the people of Poland 
hung to the divine mercy and they knew that God would bring them through it. And I mean, they were invaded by the Soviet Union and the Germans in 39, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until 89 that the wall fell. So it was that 50 years of harsh, harsh subjugation, you know, and they came through it and they're stronger than ever. Meanwhile, Western Europe, America, we've had nothing but good yeah. ever since then, you know? Yeah. And look at it, churches are empty, they're being right. torn down and made into pubs. Yeah. You know, so adversity really does build character. Mm-hmm. And the people that were going through it at the time, they might have they might have not wanted it at the time, but later on, you know, if you look back on it, it was really for the better mm-hmm. for them, I mean for their spiritual life and stuff. A lot of people died, it was a terrible thing. But they, they kept the faith and I really have to commend them for that. Yeah. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you could tweet me at Pamela Q. Phones. I'm also on Facebook at Pamela Q. Fernandez. So see you next time. Until then, God bless and take care.